1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Get the coffee brewing. Investors gearing up for another busy week as all three major indices hover right at record highs. The futures, they're pointing to a negative start. A big week for earnings on tap with big tech results in focus as Tesla kicks things into overdrive first. Investors also keeping close tabs on the renewed COVID concerns sweeping across the U.S. as the White House warns about a possible return of mask mandates. And a developing story out of China as the latest high-level talks between that country and the U.S. get off to a rocky start. We're live in Beijing with the very latest. And call it a crypto comeback. Bitcoin and other digital coins surging this morning. Reversing their recent sell-off, it is Monday, July 26 2021. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, good morning. I am Frank Holland, in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day right now. The futures in red across the board. The Dow looking like it could fall as much as 200 points right now in the pre-market. However, it's still very early. Now, this after all three indices. They wrapped up last week at record highs After stalling a bit at the start over renewed COVID concerns, this week will be a very busy one for investors with a blockbuster week for earnings, especially big tech. You see it right there on the board. We kick things off with Tesla later today and then later this week we get results from Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook and Amazon. A number of other high profile companies also reporting this week, including 3M, Boeing, McDonald's, Ford, Pfizer and our parent company of Comcast. Investors will also be watching the Fed as it kicks off its latest policy meeting tomorrow. While no action is expected, any mention of the central bank's decision to wind down its bond program could impact the markets, as it's seen as the first step towards an eventual rate hike. And speaking of bonds, let's take a look at where they they stand this morning. Right now we see the 10-year right at 1.24. We have to remember, just about a month ago was at about 1.48, the yield on the 10-year. Also, a quick check-in on cryptos, with Bitcoin surging back above 39,000 yesterday. Right now, we're seeing cryptocurrency up a whole lot, Bitcoin up more than 11%. This amid a report that Amazon could accept crypto as a form of payment in the near future. All right, let's go worldwide now and get a look at the early trade. Over in Europe, our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana.
2: Frank great to see you so European markets this morning have opened up on the back foot we are trading lower but putting this into context it comes after a strong run last week the stock 600 the main benchmark rallied about 1.5 percent last week but this morning we are seeing European equities follow the weak handover from Asia the Asian market seeing some heavy selling overnight and that seems to be hitting sentiment here in Europe we're seeing particularly hard selling in the auto sector as well as the banking sector a little bit more positive uh, news flow coming through, though, in the travel and leisure sector. Ryanair, a stock that is outperforming this morning, they came through with an update uh, and offered a smaller than expected Q1 loss. So that is providing a boost to uh, Ryanair and also a boost to the broader airline space. And then basic resources I mentioned also outperforming this morning. We're keeping a close eye on earnings this week in Europe, much like you are in the U.S. and also eyeing up that Federal Reserve meeting. So plenty to come for European investors. But so far, we are seeing uh, some selling take place in the early hours of trade this morning. Frank.
1: Juliana, thank you. Great to see you as always. Now to some of the morning's other top stories. Let's take a look. Robinhood is considering launching retirement accounts here in the U.S. CEO and co-founder Vlad Tenev revealing the, b- b- the potential new offering from the online brokerage over the weekend during the company's IPO roadshow ahead of its trading debut this week. Offering IRAs would allow the company to tap into a vast new marketplace with Tenet saying Robinhood wants to make first-time investors into long-term investors. SoftBank's big bet on Didi taking a big hit amid Beijing's continued crackdown on that company and the country's broader tech sector. According to the Financial Times, SoftBank's vision fund is now $4 billion in the red, thanks to its 20% stake in the ride-hailing app, which it paid nearly $12 billion for back in 2019. The FT says that stake is now uh, worth just under $8 billion, with DD shares tumbling more than 40% since its, um, excuse me, U.S. trading debut just under a month ago. And investors around the world betting big on U.S. financial assets. According to The Wall Street Journal, citing data from Refinitiv, more than $900 billion has been funneled from across the globe into U.S.-based mutual and exchange-traded funds on a net basis or in the first half of the year. That's a record in data going back to 1992 and comes with the three major indices looking at gains of roughly 15 percent or more so far this year. All right. We want to stick with the U.S. markets as the futures point to another kind of tough start to the new trading week on the heels of last Monday's steep sell-off. Joining me now is Grace Capital founder and CEO Catherine Faddis. Kate, great to have you here on this Monday morning. Thanks for waking up early with us.
3: Thank you. Very nice to see you, Frank.
1: All right, always good to see you, too. So one thing that's not good to see, at least for a lot of investors, are the futures down to start this Monday morning, second Monday in a row. I know you have a lot of concerns about the Delta variant and its potential impact on the markets. And when I look at the numbers, um, cases hit a 15-month low back in June. Right now, we're, we're trending pretty high, 43,700 new cases per day, um, about a 65 percent increase over the seven-day moving average. How big of an impact do you think that's having on futures this morning?
3: Uh, Frank, I think it's having an impact on futures, and I think it'll be having an impact for some time until we figure out exactly what's going to happen. Now, the backdrop is, like you mentioned correctly, market is up 17% year to date. Now, if we keep going at this pace, we're going to be up 34 35% on the year. I mean, that is really quite extraordinary. So should the markets be a little bit choppy for the next few months? I would say yes.
1: So, choppiness is one thing. It's a question of whether the broader market's going to be choppy or you see a certain uh, sectors being choppier than others. What sectors do you see as the outperformers? What other ones do you see as being more susceptible to this uh, Delta variant concern that seems to be hitting the market, especially on Monday mornings?
3: I think the sectors that are very much troubled, which I, it's heartbreaking, the reopening trade has really been called into question with this uh, Delta variant. We were expecting, you mentioned Ryanair earlier, we're expecting big things from the travel industry. That's going to be called into question. Tourism, hotels, any of that reopening trade is now in trouble. Uh, furthermore, I think if you look at the energy sector, energy at one point was up 45% on the year. Now it's only up about 25%. Energy lost 10% of the last month. I'm going to be betting with tech. I think tech is the place to be high quality blue chip tech.
1: So, Kay, I know you're big into tech um, and you have a few stocks you want to you wanna talk to us about. One of the ones I thought was really interesting was Trimble. Can you kind of explain why you're so bullish on this stock?
3: I do. And if I have time, I want to talk about C as well. Trimble is great because it's at the intersection of tech and farming, agriculture, and also infrastructure. Because what it does is it's got a fancy software, GPS-linked software and a hardware that you will put on your bulldozer or you'll put on your uh, combine uh, or your John Deere tractor. So now a farmer no longer needs a very high-priced, high-quality um, a person to operate these items. You put it on your tractor, it will, it'll spread the seed. It's never going to miss a spot. It's never going to double seed. Same thing. You have a mining operation. You've got a fancy bulldozer. You need to take it over somewhere and dig it in the ground. This will do it for you. It'll guide it with its software, with the GPS and the hardware. So Trimble has been one of our top holdings for a long time. We think it's a great name to hold long term.
1: Yeah. You know, Kate, I want to ask you about this because while this is obviously is a tech play, it seems to lean very heavily on the idea that commodities and materials and things like that are going to see a big boom and the second half of the year and demand for this product is going to increase. Is that how you see the second half of the year playing out?
3: Well, I'm not sure about commodities booming because you've had a pretty big boom in commodities already. So my guess would be that probably that may not continue. OK, we've had problems with the supply chain problems. You saw what ha- happened with lumber. So I actually think that on the commodity side, the uh, material side, we might see a subside. But this is something that farming Everything is technology. You go to build a building, you use Trimble software. First thing they do is they'll build it for you in a virtual environment. So you see all the problems before you put a single shovel in the ground. Got it.
1: You know, I want to get to C before we go. This is really interesting. This is a stock that you have. It's a ticker S-E, but the name of the company C. It's a way to play e-commerce and tech without China. Can you kind of explain very quickly before we have to run?
3: Yes, very quickly. Okay. You mentioned DD and what's happening with China the Chinese government is not pro-business. So here's a way to play 600 million people in Asia. Places like Vietnam, Malaysia, Taiwan, 600 million people. They also have a, a position in South America. It's gaming and e-commerce. So think of a, an Amazon.com with an e-commerce play. Doubled last year. Revenue's growing tremendously. Large population, growing population. It's a freemium software. We think is a buy.
1: Kate Faddis with the stock picks. We love it as always. We appreciate the insight and your time and for waking up early with us, Kate. Have a great day. Thank you, Frank. All right. Turning our attention now to the growing concerns surrounding the pandemic as the Biden administration weighs whether to reinstate more aggressive mask guidance. This is the more highly contagious Delta variant runs rampant in states with lower vaccination rates. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington with much more on this story. Good morning, Tracy
4: hi frank good morning everyone so there's the possibility that the cdc could reverse course here with this virus as you said uh, running rampant particularly in certain areas the government's concerned not only about how it's spreading and how fast it's spreading but who's getting covid19
5: we're going in the wrong direction the
4: cdc could soon recommend that fully vaccinated people should again wear masks indoors To protect people like Linda Mercer, who's now fighting for her life after not getting the shot. I'm admitting my wrong because I was being selfish by not getting vaccinated. It really changes your outlook on life when you almost feel like I may be called home. Nearly half the country remains unvaccinated, the lowest level since January. As new cases soar, especially in the South, Texas, Arkansas and Florida make up four in 10 new infections, almost all deaths and hospitalizations. 99% are people who have not been vaccinated.
1: It's kind of like we have two kinds of America. We have the very vulnerable unvaccinated part, and we have the really
5: relatively protected vaccinated part.
4: The CDC is trying to predict how fast the Delta variant may spread.
5: The models that the CDC puts, puts out or put
1: out estimated that there's going to be anywhere from 10,000 infections a day over the course of that week to 100,000 infections a day, which really is an indication that they don't have a good sense where we're heading with this outbreak.
4: Arkansas is banning mask mandates starting today, despite an explosion of 2,000 cases there in 24
6: hours. Vaccination, and I really think it's important not to have the current debate about mask wearing, but to have the current emphasis on getting a vaccine.
4: But for almost half the country, so far, it's not working. And Dr. Fauci is even suggesting that the large number of people who are unvaccinated could put the rest of the country at risk if this virus continues to spread and then mutate, that it could change, Frank, in a way that the current vaccines might not be able to protect against it.
1: Tracy Poss with the very latest from Washington. Tracy, we appreciate it. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the latest on those high-level talks between the U.S. and China kicking off with some criticisms being lobbed. Our Yunus Yun will have the very latest from Beijing. Plus, lawmakers back here at home racing to overcome last-minute hurdles to finalize that massive infrastructure package. And later, the growing push by energy companies to shed their assets over mounting climate change criticisms. We dive into what's being sold off and the challenges in getting those deals done. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
1: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning to a developing story out of China. High profile talks between leaders there and the U.S. getting off to what we're going to call a bit of a rocky start with Chinese officials blaming the U.S. for what it calls a quote unquote stalemate. Our Eunice Yun joins us now from Beijing. Uh, Eunice sounds like some uh, high level chess talk here. What's the what's really at the center of these latest tensions?
7: Well Frank uh, the Chinese would say that the fundamental problem is that the u s uh, the u s is seeing China as what it described as an imagined um, enemy, uh, shifting blame from the Chinese perspective uh, f- uh, for problems back home, and also using it in order to suppress China's rise. So, what was really interesting today is the Foreign Ministry issued six statements in a rare move about the meeting between the Deputy Secretary of State uh, Wendy Sherman and her Chinese counterpart, essentially criticizing the Biden administration's new focus on competition, saying that uh, the the real um, aim here. is to uh, stop China's rise. So reports are now emerging that Chinese officials have actually handed over an action plan to the U.S. um, to to repair ties, including lifting sanctions on Chinese officials and dropping the extradition request for Huawei's CFO. Um, They also reiterated their red lines uh, to the U.S., such as stopping building what Beijing sees as confrontational anti China blocks. So this all comes after senior U.S. officials had said that uh, one of the, the main goals of the um, officials of uh, Wendy Sherman was to really create guardrails, uh, they said, uh, for China's competition with the U.S.
1: Well, U.S. You know, so, uh, really a lot to unpack here. We also want to get the latest on China's continued crackdown on the tech sector. We see a stock like Didi being impacted down about 37 percent over just the last week. And now China appears to be turning its attention to private education companies. What's the latest there?
7: Yeah, well, you know, the stock market today, um, not only in Hong Kong and but also in Shanghai and Shenzhen, they all took a beating because of a, a several crackdowns that regulators have been employing now uh, that had been announced on Friday as well as today. So it mainly focuses on what you had described, private tutoring, where there are now new rules so that a lot of these big private tutoring companies are going to have to um, have be not for profit. Um, also um, on the tech side today, the internet regulator said that um, they're going to be pushing ahead with a six-month campaign to try to clean up what they see as irregularities in the sector. The property market also uh, got a beating, and that's because the housing ministry uh, on Friday had said that they were going to um, launch another campaign, a drive to clean up the overheating that they see in the property sector over the next three years. And then uh, today, um, the state media um, had been reporting that uh, some of these um, clampdowns on the housing sector is going to include um, a, um, um, a clampdown on, on land purchasing or at least limitations uh, for property giants on land purchases. So all of that is just hitting sentiment. And then, of course, you have this very rocky relationship, as we described earlier in this segment, about uh, between the U.S. and China when it comes to the relationship.
1: All right, Eunice Yun with the very latest from Beijing. Thank you, Eunice. Still on deck here in Worldwide Exchange, to the moon of Jupiter, that is. The big new contract being awarded to Elon Musk's SpaceX to explore the fifth planet from the sun.
6: Today's big number, $15 billion. That's the outstanding value adults in the U.S. have in unused gift cards, vouchers, and store credits. According to Bankrate.com, almost three-quarters of Americans have been holding unused balances for more than a year.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
1: All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on the mornings. Other headlines outside the business world. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest Francis, great to see you.
8: Hey, Frank. Good morning, too. We begin this morning with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who announced Sunday that Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois will serve on the Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot. The only other Republican on the committee is Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney. The committee's first hearing is set for Tuesday. More than 80 massive wildfires continue to burn in 13 states. California's largest, the Dixie Fire, has burned close to 200,000 acres, prompting evacuations and destroying at least 10 structures. More than 5,000 firefighters are battling the blaze, which is just 21 percent contained. Japan is bracing for a tropical storm that could potentially impact the Tokyo Olympics. It's expected to make landfall tomorrow, packing heavy rain and winds up to nearly 40 miles per hour. It is still unclear whether it will hit Tokyo. Olympic organizers say they are talking with individual sports about changing event times. Rowing already cleared its schedule for today and tomorrow. Frank, so at one point we thought COVID was just the main concern in watching, just throwing a loop in all of these games. Now, at least for now, it's this storm as well. Right.
1: Uh, Degree of difficulty on this Olympics at 10 right now, Mm for sure. So if that was a a, a medal... (laughs) where you could earn a medal, I think every athlete would win right there. Francis Rivera, thank you. Sure thing. Still on deck. Robin Hood gearing up for its debut on the public markets this week, looking to tap into the red-hot IPO market details on whether that interest can carry on in the second half. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back, right here on Worldwide Exchange. Stay with us. Investors facing flashbacks to last week's steep sell-off as futures point to losses at the open. And what's shaping up to be another busy week ahead. Busy tech earnings, or big tech earnings, I should say. Busy week, though, and big focus for traders as Tesla gears up to kick things off. We preview what to expect. And getting an infrastructure deal done. The key issue is keeping the agreement from getting just over the finish line. We're just getting our day started on this Monday, July 26th on Worldwide Exchange. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. We're looking at futures just right across the board. We see the Dow looking like it's, it could open 175 points lower, at least at this point. And this after all three indices wrapped up last week at record highs after stumbling at the start over renewed COVID concerns. Now, this week, it'll be a busy one for investors with a blockbuster week for earnings, especially when it comes to big tech. You see all the names right there. We kick things off with Tesla later today and get results from Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and Amazon throughout the week. A number of other high profile companies also reporting that includes 3M, Boeing, McDonald's, Ford, Pfizer, and our parent company of Comcast. Investors will also be watching the Fed as it kicks off its latest policy meeting tomorrow. While no actions actually expected, Any mention of the bank's uh, decision to wind down its bond program could really impact the markets, as it's seen as the first step towards an eventual rate hike. And also, we want to check in on one commodity that impacts a lot of the WEX faithful, coffee. Take a look. Prices jumping nearly 19 percent last week. Its best week since February of 2014. Year to date, it's up nearly 50 percent, as Brazil, the world's largest producer of coffee, it really grapples with frost damage to the crops there. A lot of coffee lovers worried about that. Well, among today's top stories, a bipartisan group of senators still trying to finalize a deal on an infrastructure package. Lead GOP negotiator Senator Rob Portman says they're just about 90 percent of the way to reaching an agreement. But the big issue remaining is how much money to put towards public transit. General Motors and its crew subsidiary are suing Ford to block the automaker from using the name Blue Cruise to market its hands-free driving technology. GM says it had discussions with Ford over this matter, but just couldn't resolve the dispute. The lawsuit was filed in federal court in California on Friday. Ford calls the suit meritless and frivolous. And NASA is reportedly awarding Elon Musk SpaceX a $178 million contract to launch a spacecraft to Jupiter's moon Europa. The NASA mission is sent to blast off in October of 2024. All right. Speaking of Elon Musk, as we mentioned just a moment ago, Tesla reports second quarter results after the closing bell today. The numbers and comments from the company could give Wall Street the lowdown on the progress on future vehicles, new factories in Texas and Germany, and the lingering effects from higher commodity prices, as well as the global chip shortage. A lot to listen to on this earnings call. Tesla shares are down just about 9 percent this year and nearly 25% since February when the company disclosed its $1.5 billion Bitcoin investment. For his take on Tesla, let's bring in Gordon Johnson, founder and CEO of GLJ Research. Gordon, great to have you here.
5: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: So I'm going to set the stage here. You're noted Tesla bear, your price target. I want to make sure I'm reading this correctly. $67.
5: (laughs) That's correct.
1: I, I, that I got to double check all the numbers here, Gordon. You're, you're controversial, man. The, the, the price right now is 643. Your price target, $67. Obviously, that's not going to happen today, that 67 price target. But you see it happening over the next 12 months at some point. What could right. we hear or see in the earnings report later today from Tesla that would bring the, the stock even lower? I don't know about $67 a share, but lower today.
5: Right. So let's talk about some numbers. So we're looking at 2Q. We already have deliveries. We know that from the fourth quarter of 19 to the second quarter of this year, Tesla's market share in Europe has fallen from 33 percent to 15 percent, even down from 1Q. In China, their growth market from the first quarter of 20 to the second quarter of this year, their market share has fallen from 23 percent to 11 percent. So on the two, two of the three largest global markets where you have competition, Tesla is seeding significant market share. So I think that's going to be a key point of focus. Now, if we take a step back and look at the numbers and we can get into this, I think there's risk to the consensus estimate because while they sold more cars, their biggest credit customer, Stellantis, keep in mind, Tesla has never made money in any single year, excluding credit sales. Their biggest customer unexpectedly early in two Q said we're no longer buying credits from Tesla. So we can get into the numbers, but we think there's a potential miss um, in the offing when they report uh, earnings after the close.
1: All right. One thing I want to touch on, just because it's, it's uh, definitely a factor on the markets today, Bitcoin is up big this morning. We're seeing it's up over 39,000. The stock fell hard after they announced their Bitcoin investment. But with Bitcoin back up, uh, we saw Bitcoin actually even spike after Elon Musk, Kathy Wood, and Jack Dorsey had a little chit-chat about it at the B-Word conference. <laughs> Any chance that this surge in crypto could just give an additional, I know you're not seeing a boost, but give an additional boost to Tesla's stock at earnings?
5: That's a great question. So I want to look at my notes here. So let's just get into the numbers. So, again, we think there's going to be a roughly $200 million benefit to their gross profit from selling more cars. However, in the quarter, the way you account for Bitcoin, they're going to take about an $85 million charge on the Bitcoin investment they have in the second quarter. In addition to that, we think that the credit sales are going to be $200 million less than what they did in 1Q. And we think there's going to be a margin hit for them actually having to produce Model, SF, Model S and X cars in 2Q versus not producing in 1Q. So the number, the, the, the kind of back of the envelope number we're looking at, non-GAAP um, uh, net income, we're seeing a number close to $985 million, whereas the street's at $1.1 billion. So to your point, Bitcoin is actually going to be a headwind for them and 2Q when they report numbers after the close. So we think that's actually going to work against the company, not for them. With respect to today's move, I think people want to see how it moves through the quarter, because the way you account for it is you market to market at the lowest price any individual day in the quarter. So one day's move, we don't think it's going to be big enough to really help the company.
1: So, Gordon, I'm going to say this and don't take it the wrong way. You're a bit of a contrarian. Obviously, you have a different take than most of the street. Uh, most of the street sees Bitcoin. I'm excuse me, not Bitcoin. I'm conflating them right now. Tesla having a, a very strong quarter with uh, revenues up about almost 89 percent year over year. One thing I want to look at is deliveries. Uh, we've seen sequential improvement and year over year improvement in deliveries from Tesla: 184, 185 thousand in Q1, over 201 thousand in Q2. What number would actually be impressive to you, and, and may, you know, for kind of meet the expect, the expectations that you have and also investor expectations?
5: Yeah, again, that's a great question. Let's take a step back. So. Look at Tesla trading at about 100 times earnings, 100 times earnings versus the auto industry average of about six to seven times earnings. That's, that's not a mistake. That's real. So you think about it. Last year, Tesla sold 500,000 cars, right? VW, whose Tesla's, Tesla's valued at a multiple, uh, right? their market cap is a multiple of VW, sold 13 million cars. So already in this valuation, Tesla is being valued as if it's growing its deliveries 100, 200 percent per quarter. That's what the valuation suggests. So going from 185,000 cars to 200,000 cars, while impressive to some, if you look at their valuation, I think it's a disappointment. So we need to see this company get to multiple millions of cars sold per year to justify even half of its current valuation. And it's just not there. And I think as the market realizes, you know, Tesla, when they see competition, China, EU, where they're seeding significant share, as the market realizes they're no longer going to get these credit revenues that they've gotten that have been the bolus, the, you know, the bolus of their of their profit. I think the valuation is going to come down tremendously. And when you look at it, look at GSX, right? Look at these um, Chinese um, online um, uh, education stocks. When the market comes to realities, drastic things can happen. And we think over the next 12 months, that's going to be the case with Tesla.
1: Gordon, before we let you go, one last question. Um, obviously, that the Chevy Bolt news, made a lot of headlines last week, a lot of concerns about those batteries. Is that a potential headwind or tailwind for Tesla as it tries to attract people to electric cars? Do you see people gravitating towards the Tesla brand because they haven't had those issues? Or would you think that makes consumers more wary about electric vehicles in general?
5: Great question again. So GM was aware of eight spontaneous fires in their cars, eight, and they pulled their entire line. Over the weekend, we tweeted about 200 Tesla fires that uh, one of our contacts has counted 200 fires, 200 fires, and they haven't done one recall. So I think this is a bigger risk to Tesla versus, uh, you know, a potential benefit, because if you look at the amount of fires they've had without one recall, one could argue that the regulators in the U.S. need to potentially look into this um, and, and start doing their homework.
1: All right, Gordon Johnson, man, with that bear take on Tesla, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for waking up early with us. Thank All you. Right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, big oil in a green world. We're going to talk about the pressure to divest some assets and what this means for companies and investors. But first, as we had to break some of your other top stories, Bitcoin topping 39,000 for the first time in nearly six weeks. The entire cryptocurrency market added more than $114 billion in value during just 24 hours over the weekend. Wow. Credit Suisse settling a spying case with former star banker. The out court settlement dealt with allegations of corporate espionage that led to the resignation of former CEO Tejane Theon. And Disney says top executives won't travel to Las Vegas next month to attend CinemaCon. It's an annual gathering of cinema owners and Hollywood studios. Disney is citing growing concerns about the COVID-19 Delta variant. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. We're back to Worldwide Exchange. Big oil companies have been coming under a lot of pressure from shareholders, regulatory boards, and climate activists to make changes, including divesting assets like oil fields. Christina Part- Parts Evelis joins us now with a look at what's at stake. Good morning, Christina.
9: Uh, good morning, Frank. So you got the pressure to both cut emissions as well as recoup the cash crunch triggered by the pandemic, and that has oil majors, uh, oil and gas, I should say, shedding some dirtier assets. While not a record, the current value of oil and gas assets up for sale across the industry stands at more than $40 billion for upstream assets. So think uh, uh, those operations to help recover materials, as well as dig for raw materials in the ground and uh, drill for wells. For example, ExxonMobil, Chevron in the United States, as well as BP Shell and Total have already sold more than 28 billion assets since 2018. There's over roughly $30 in the pipeline in the coming years, and there's this one trend it seems to be hitting North America.
5: I think one
3: thing we've noticed over the last, um, probably since 2019, is, is there's less of a focus on acquiring assets, acquiring acreage in the resource place, and much more of a fa- focus on corporate consolidation.
9: And despite future consolidation, there are potential buyers for these assets. So production could actually shift to smaller independent operators who are backed by private equity or state-owned corporations. For those that choose not to sell, the business, though, is expected to transform.
5: I think there will be maybe not divestments, but perhaps investments into
10: repurposing of assets as well, so refineries being converted into, for example, biorefineries, so trying to increase the output of biofuels, uh, which can be drop in sustainable aviation fuel in jets, for example, for, to help the airline industry.
9: Whether it's repurposing the business or selling off those $140 billion of eh, dirtier assets, the oil and gas sector is evolving, especially as these oil majors face mounting pressure over their contribution to climate change. So these companies will want to keep hold of assets that are the most profitable and ideally the least polluting, Frank.
1: So, Christina, question here. If these firms are shedding their, quote-unquote, dirtier assets, how could that actually increase emissions?
5: Yes. Yeah,
9: so we have these smaller corporations, these private corporations that are looking to snap up a lot of these assets, especially while the price of crude is so high. These guys, these smaller players, may not be as transparent, right, because they're not; some of them may not be publicly tra- uh, traded companies. So if they're buying these assets, they may be incentivized to pump out as much oil as possible at these current prices. And so it doesn't mean that emissions may drop. It's actually just an emissions Transferring hands from one corporation to another. And then potentially the worst case scenario, and this is according to one guy that I spoke to at Carbon Tracker, is that emissions could increase because these smaller players, they don't have to tell you as much as what, they don't have to be as transparent. And of course, they're trying to pump out the oil.
1: So, one other question here, Christina, just trying to understand the the shift, uh, this green shift, if you will. Why would the North American market choose to consolidate?
9: Well, for, for let's say the United States is not necessarily all about uh, going green. It's more so beefing up the balance sheets, especially in the coming years, especially if there's going to be any uh, difficulty trying to raise capital because people are a little bit more concerned about uh, their green investments. So there's, there's this talk that maybe a company like Devon Energy would have trouble getting ca- capital or the cost of capital would increase. So a lot of larger players and smaller players are thinking about consolidating so that the They'll have a stronger balance sheet to prepare themselves for the, the short term and long term in five to 10 years when companies will have to really, really think about these dirty assets or when uh, they will have to think about rejigging themselves to become biofuel companies, for example.
1: All right, Christina, we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, coming up, a big week ahead for investors, tech earnings, a Fed meeting and much more in focus. We'll get ready for it all with the top market watcher. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The IPO market has been booming this year, but now some are wondering when the trend will end. Our Leslie Picker joins us now. (laughs) with a few answers. Good morning, Leslie.
10: Hey, Frank, good morning. That's always the key question, right? Because for the better part of the last decade, the U.S. equity markets have been shrinking, largely thanks to buybacks and buyouts. But since the pandemic, that's changed. The IPO market, both for SPACs and traditional companies, has been so robust as share repurchases at several large companies have been halted that the net share supply on U.S. exchanges is actually positive. Not only that, it's the highest in 16 years, according to data from J.P. Morgan. But many in the private equity industry believe this is only temporary. Hellman and Friedman just raised one of the largest buyout funds ever, raking in more than $24 billion. CEO Patrick Healy spoke to us for this week's Delivering Alpha newsletter, where he said market conditions won't always be this ripe for IPOs and SPACs.
3: As more and more things get public, investors will get more picky and choosy, and it'll probably orient towards the higher quality, let's say, um, uh, either in terms of business performance or there's going to be a valuation impact for accessing the public markets for less mature, less developed uh, companies.
10: Of course, in addition to that cash to deploy, like its peers, Hellman and Friedman does benefit from this market by IPOing portfolio companies. For example, the firm's Snap One is going public this week. That's a company that does mobile applications. Uh, you can subscribe though to our newsletter, which comes out every other Monday at cnbc.com/deliveringalphanewsletter. Frank.
1: So, Leslie, what's on deck for this week in terms of IPOs?
10: This is going to be a pretty busy week for IPOs. There's a huge rush before kind of this August period where a lot of investors tend to go away for for the month. Um, And so, therefore, there's less liquidity. So people like to get out by the end of July if possible. Therefore, we see about 18 IPOs on deck for this week, including uh, perhaps the one that's most anticipated of the year at this point, Robinhood, which is expected to go public later this week. There's also Duolingo, uh, which is the language learning app that's expected to go public this week, Snap One, as I mentioned, Um, and Dole Food. Uh, That's that's kind of a a household staple, at least it was for me growing up. Of course, they do, you know, fruits and, and canned goods and things like that. Right.
1: So, Leslie, the first half of the year has been red hot for IPOs. Is the expectation that momentum can hold up in the second half of the year?
10: So there are a lot of companies on file in terms of the pipeline. You've got uh, Rent the Runway, which just disclosed that it uh, filed confidentially for an IPO. Warby Parker is in that same bo- same boat. Um, Allbirds is another company that's been uh, discussed as going public. So there are a lot of companies that are waiting to go public. Now, whether we'll see the same kind of activity we saw in the first half of the year, the second quarter was the busiest second quarter for U.S. listings. Actually, I'm sorry, for global listings in 20 years. Whether we can repeat that in the second half of the year, especially as we look at what's going on with inflation, what's going on with, uh, you know, the potential for COVID uh, regulations to come back in some sort, some fashion. You know, that all could be. That all could create uncertainty that that wouldn't necessarily foster uh, as active of an IPO market as we saw in the first half of the year.
1: All right, Leslie Picker, great stuff as always. You have to check out the Delivering Alpha newsletter on (laughs) CNBC.com. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. All right, let's turn back to the broader markets and the trading day ahead and bring in the big man, Jeff Kilberg, Sanctuary Wealth Chief Investment Officer and CEO of KKM Financial, also a CNBC contributor. The resume, almost as long as you are, my man. Thanks for being here. (laughs)
6: Craig, you the man. Thanks for having me back this morning.
1: So, Jeff, let's just get right into it. We only got a little bit of time left here on the show, but you got a lot to say. So I know you're already forecasting it's going to be a volatile week on the markets. Uh, We're seeing right now Dow futures down. Actually, you know, above their lows from earlier this morning, uh, the Dow looking like it's about 150 lower uh, right now. What do you see as the catalyst for all this
6: volatility that you're forecasting? Well, Frank, I'm actually quite impressed on where we are to start off the week. This is the biggest week of earnings. We're looking at one-third of the S&P 500. We have Apple. We have Microsoft. We have Amazon. But we also have a nice tilt in industrials. Look at Lockheed Martin. But we're also talking about Boeing. So it's just such a great cross-section to understand. But if you look at some of the rhetoric out of China and the fact that you did see the U.S., Treasury note, specific the 10-year note, go lower. The 10-year note is about 1.24, so about six basis points lower. So a tone of uncertainty starting the week. You're also seeing the German boon, which is their 10-year. That's the lowest level we've seen the German boon in about five and a half months. But as I look forward to the week, I do have confidence that we're going to see giant tech deliver. I feel comfortable that the sector rotation that we always talk about is intact, this reopening trade should really come to life with inflation metrics later in the week. But I think the takeaway from a volatility, Frank, is understanding that we are not in the volatile regime. We're not in a volatile market like we were back in March of 2020 in the pandemic. The VIX is only at 20. So with the VIX of 20, yes, there's some apprehension, yes, there's some caution. We are seeing markets at all-time high, but I think you have to be a stock picker this week, and we do get excited about some of the the tech stocks really delivering, but more importantly, look at some of the boring names. We get so excited about the Boeings, which really have been laggards year to date. We look at Lockheed Martin coming out today. But also don't forget that we're going to see GDP. That's tangible, Frank. If we can understand what GDP, and I know it's a rear view mirror type of data metric, but we're going to understand what GDP looks like as it continues to go higher in a descending way.
1: So what's coming up on the road ahead, the next big thing as far as earnings is obviously Tesla later today. But later this week, we're talking Amazon, Alphabet, um, no shortage of tech names. You say it's a stock picker's market right now. Which one of these companies or stocks do you see outperforming the expectations of the street? I'm not even talking about the expectations of the estimates, because it seems right now a stock can be and that not even be good enough. It can actually take a fall. But which one of these do you see is most likely to, to exceed the expectations of the street?
6: You're absolutely right. And that's been characteristic of the last couple earnings season. When you do see a top line and a bottom line beat, you still see disappointment in the actual stock performing price. But let's look at Apple, one of the most widely owned stocks in the universe. And we get excited about Apple because look what's going on with buybacks and the conversation with all the cash that Apple has. So I think there's specific opportunities within these $2 trillion market capitalization companies like an Apple or Microsoft. But we're going to look for forecasts because we do believe that these buybacks this year may actually push over a trillion dollars, Frank. And that type of buyback really be the next catalyst higher when a lot of people think that this cycle is actually a little bit long in the tooth.
1: You know, one uh, of the potential catalysts for Apple, at least a lot of people have seen it, is the interest uh, from retail traders, especially after that stock split. Um, Robinhood, speaking of retail traders, going to be going public later this week. What's your take on that? It's obviously a tech stock, but a, a lot different than some of those legacy tech
6: stocks that are reporting this week. So Robinhood has been fantastic for the marketplace. Brought in a lot of young investors, a lot of young traders. That puts a smile on my face. I do have concern, though, that the majority of their revenue is predicated on paying for order flow. That payment for order flow is really being scrutinized and examined right now by the SEC. So if that's your main line of business, Frank, and all of a sudden it's being scrutinized, I do have concern about actually owning Robinhood from a stock perspective. But the fact that it's a great app and allows people market access for free, you have to remember, nothing in life comes for free, Frank.
1: <laughs> that's very true. Um, one more thing on the road ahead this week is the two-day Fed meeting. What's your take on that? Does that add to the volatility in the markets that you forecast, or does that help reduce it?
6: It absolutely adds to it because you have so many different people on on each side of the fence. We're talking about the inflation alarmists who really were getting excited about this inflation or the fact that the Fed was going to do something due to the inflation. That's when the 10-year note a couple months ago went up to 1.75. But I do think the Federal Reserve is going to stay very, very prudent. You have seen Fed Chairman Powell continue to articulate his message that they have no intention of doing anything anytime soon. But we will be looking. We're hoping to get some type of hint of them reducing their $120 billion emergency type of stimulus in the marketplace. But I don't see it this week. And that's going to cause a little bit of turbulence, Frank. But I think it's going to be OK once we get through that Fed meeting.
1: All right, Jeff, we almost got to wrap things up. But one thing I didn't hear you mention and you haven't really put out there in your notes that you sent to us is your take on the Delta variant and its potential impact on the market. Just a week ago, we saw it have a huge impact. Markets had their worst day of the year. How do you see that playing out, especially this week with so many other factors?
6: I think it's been much more diminished than we anticipated. I was on CNBC just a week ago when we did see a lot of red in the tape. We saw the Dow Jones nearly down a 1,000 last Monday. But what were the options expectations? I rely upon the options market to help us navigate through these choppy waters. And the options market, specifically the VIX, never went over 25. And the fact that you didn't see that type of fear in the marketplace, that gave me confidence that that was just a turbulent event, and we actually bought that. So it's been a great opportunity to reposition. I know the S&P 500 is at 4,400, near all-time highs as we continue to grind higher. But there's so much money on the sideline. There's so much momentum underneath the surface place, I don't think the Delta variant is going to have the ability to really push us back. But I could be wrong. But hopefully everyone stays health and safety out there, Frank.
1: Jeff Kilbert, we appreciate it as always. You're my favorite analyst over 6'4", man. Know that. All right. That is it for us here on Worldwide (laughs) Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m.
0: Eastern only on CNBC.